Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Promise, a podcast about healthcare that delivers on our promise to know you, care for you, and ease your way. On this podcast, we will talk with healthcare professionals and hear stories of compassion to help you navigate the world of healthcare with dignity, care, and humanity. I'm your host, Nancy Jordan, Chief Mission Integration Officer. And here with me today is Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive, Behavioral Health, Providence, Oregon, and Aaron Wesson, Senior Manager of Communication with Providence's mission team. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about suicide prevention and awareness, a topic some may find triggering or too complex for younger audiences, and you may want to turn this podcast off. If you are in crisis, please call the Suicide and Crisis Live Line at 988 or text line by texting 741-741. Welcome, Dr. Henderson and Aaron. Thank you for joining me to talk about this important topic. Dr. Henderson, I would like to start with you. Can you share a little bit about what it is that you do at Providence? Thanks, Nancy, and thanks for having me here today. Uh, I am the leader over behavioral health for Providence in Oregon. So all things that we do for mental health, um, for substance use disorders, all of those things somehow touch me in my world and, and report up through there. Uh, in Providence, Oregon, we're the largest provider of behavioral health services in the state. We see about 120,000 visits a year, 60,000 of which are in primary care. But we have inpatient units, emergency department services, partial hospitalization, eating disorders, a whole wide range of things. And we see the pain that individuals, families, others, everyone comes in when dealing with suicidal thoughts, suicidal behavior, all of those types of things uh, every day. It's a tough topic to talk about, but it's an important topic to talk about. And, and this topic is so important. Um, suicide's been on the rise since 2011. It's the 11th leading cause of death. And we hit a high of nearly 50,000 deaths in 2022. Clearly, there is a need to draw attention to this issue. Oh, clearly there's a need across the age spectrum and across all of the different cultural spectrums, including our, our gender diverse, especially our gender diverse youth. Uh, having conversations and normalizing the topic of suicide is the best antidote that we have to combat the rising numbers. You know, as we start this conversation, I, I'm very sensitive to the language that's used to describe um, the experience of, of suicide at, and mental health in general. Can you maybe give us some reasons why that is important to be aware of our language uh, and how we can maybe use language that is, is most accurate and most helpful? Sure, Nancy, I'd be, I'd be happy to talk about that. Language is part of what permeates the stigma that makes it difficult to talk about. And it makes it so that it seems like suicide is someone's quote, fault. And that's the exact wrong message that we want to send. What we want to talk about when we talk about suicide, we want to be careful in not sensationalizing this, not blaming anybody, 
and certainly how we talk about the circumstances around that. Suicide is a very complicated thing, and it's it's more than just one little thing. It's all of the things all together. And while that period of time when someone is acutely suicidal and they have that episode that may trigger them to complete suicide, in that window, it's made up of a lot of different complicated factors. There's not just one thing. And that's one of the most important things to remember. We used to use language where people would say, well, someone committed suicide. That is not the language we use. We use died by suicide. We use completed suicide. Uh, we talk about persons with a mental illness, persons with a mental health condition, and all kinds of things that are really more what we call person-first language. You know, this is very consistent with um, our mission statement. We talk about care for those who are poor and vulnerable. We don't say care for the poor and vulnerable. We I, And I didn't really know what that phraseology might be called, and you've given it... Um, sort of meaning for me to say that it's person-centered, it's person-first, and that makes a lot of sense. So we we care for those who are vulnerable. Um, we care for people who have mental health, you know, needs. Um, and, and I feel like I'm even stumbling on how I say that because I want to say the right thing. I want to do the right thing. And I want to be the most supportive um, in, in my voice and advocacy. Aaron, I know this topic is very, very close to your heart, and I am wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit about your story and, and then how it's led you to the work that you're doing um, in terms of advocacy, particularly the Out of Darkness walk, and, and maybe sort of your journey and how we are here today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me to share my story and to hopefully help bust some stigma and myths around suicide. Um, I lead a out of the darkness walk team. I'm a team captain in Seattle and I also help organize a, for a, a dozen or so different teams across our Providence system from Alaska to Texas uh, that are made up of caregivers, um, our family, our friends and our patients. Uh, who really want to show up for our communities and let them know that they're never alone when dealing with um, the topics of mental illness and suicide. So I'm just really just honored and proud to be a part of that effort. The Out of the Darkness walks are really about walking to bring suicide out of the darkness um, and to bust that stigma. And I am really connected to this cause because I have a personal loss in my family. I lost my younger brother to suicide about 13 years ago now, he was just shy of his 21st birthday. He was somebody that you would never think was tormented by thoughts of suicide. As I have learned now in hindsight and looking back, that is typically the case. Often they, these people are the life of the party, somebody that you would never think was struggling. They have the biggest smile. Um, they're just they're just social butterflies. And that was my brother. And he was a talented athlete and he had so much going on for him. But really under the surface, he was really struggling. And we didn't know that uh, until looking back. You know, we we had some thoughts here and there and some signs here and there. And we thought that would never happen to us. That would never happen to him. And that's what I have learned about suicide is it does not discriminate. It, it really touches so many different types of people. And since going to these walks and meeting others who have had similar losses, 
I have, I have learned everyone is really touched by suicide. Everyone has a story mm -hmm. of somebody in their lives that have struggled, somebody they have lost. And the more we talk about it, the more we show people they're not alone. You know, those words matter, um, as Doc Rob was saying. Uh, you know, the, the words we use really influence our actions and our behaviors. And if we can, can use really inclusive language and really um, inviting language, it can show people that we are someone that they can come and talk to if they are ever struggling. And that's what I hope that we can do through the Out of the Darkness Walks and at Providence is really create a culture of it's okay to talk. It's okay to not be okay. You know, we hear that a lot. And that's really, I think, what we're doing in creating this community through the Out of the Darkness Walks. Erin, I mean, my heart just goes out to you and your family um, in, in this uh, experience that I know never leaves you. And I'm just so inspired that you have used your voice and your experience and your beloved brother's memory to bring awareness and to, um, to really instill some hope in, in others. Um, and as you say, everyone's lives have been touched in mm -hmm. some way, shape or form by this experience. And so to be able to sort of gather people together in community and, and, and really bring a collective sense of awareness, but also know that your story has affected so many. I mean, it's just, and, I, and of course that's not why you're doing this, but you have had such an influence. And I, I've been so inspired by how you have put out the story, you know, you, you submitted, uh, you had an article on CNN and you, there was recently a video promoting the out of darkness efforts. And it just, you know, you just have a way, I think that brings um, hope to, to others who are, are learning and, and trying to understand and trying to seek answers about why this may have happened to them. I mean, you, you say um, something that I think is probably so common, which is we never thought this could happen to us. Robin, can you say a little bit about that? Like what, what is like, what's left for the families when they're, you know, they sort of, this happens and then they're like, how could this happen? This, we would never expect this to happen to us. What's the response to that? You know, when we think about physical health illnesses like cancer and heart attacks and strokes and things like that, uh, for, for whatever reason in our society, we seem to be more, accepting of those types of illnesses than we are of the challenges that come with the struggles with mental health. And we don't talk about that. There seems to be more of that, well, this must have been my fault. It would never occur to the family of a cancer patient to go, oh, you have colon cancer. Well, that must have been my fault. That, that must have been breast cancer must have been my fault. You know, it was something that happened in your childhood. What did I do? And the reality is physical health and mental health are just the same thing. When all the inputs and all the information comes into someone's brain and it all gets cooked around in there, we don't know what neural pathways they have, where that's going, and what that's doing to their level of hope, their level of ability to see a future for themselves, and their level of ability to connect with others and be able to share what's going on for them. We have no idea. And those are the types of things that, that families have to figure out very quickly how to come back to grips to go, you know, we did everything we could. And now Aaron and what you're doing and sharing your story is one of the most powerful things a family can give back and give hope to that next family and give hope to that next individual to say, you know what, 
maybe I really do need to talk to someone. Maybe I should reach out to someone. Maybe I can feel that piece of hope. Because here's the other thing that we know. The biggest, biggest factor that impacts someone in that moment is hope. And when people lose hope, that's the hardest thing to overcome. Aaron, do you find that it's helpful to you and your family to be a part of the Out of Darkness movement? Yeah, uh, it's been very healing for us. Um, you know, at these walks, you typically see um, groups of families and friends, and this is their, you know, annual opportunity that they come together and really honor their loved one and keep their memory alive and try to spread a message that can help others um, and try to have some positive come out of, out of this horrible loss. So it has been really healing for us. These events are just, you know, you think of like a, a walk that is dedicated to people who have, have lost loved ones to suicide and people that struggle. And, and you might evoke feelings of just like sad and doom and gloom. And it just seems like a heavy sort of uh, experience. But these walks are so uplifting and so inspiring and just really warm and just um, just really special events. And people go there and they have an opportunity to post pictures of their loved ones on a memorial wall. Uh, to wear beads that signify uh, the color of their loss. So there's different colors for having lost a sibling or a spouse or a friend. And there's just such community with being with um, others who know how it feels. Mm -hmm. And that helps you in your grief understand that you're not alone as well. And, and when people lose someone to suicide, I, I read somewhere it was described as a long shadowed grief. Um, it's a very complicated grief because of the stigma because of the blame and shame loved ones might put on themselves and because of the trauma of that kind of a loss. It, it can be violent. It can be a, a memory that is hard to relive. So these events really um, provide an avenue for healing um, that I think is has been important to us. And, you know, we still go to these events and obviously, you know, I help organize them for others too. And when I hear of others who have had losses, I, I invite them to these kind of events as well, just to show them you, you're going to go here and it might be hard and you might think it's going to be something, but it, it's not. It's it's warm. It's uplifting. It's inspiring. It's a place to just hug others and be seen. And a lot of times people just need to be seen. So yes, to answer your question, we do find a lot of healing. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I, I just so appreciate you describing the specifics about that because you're right. You do. I think it would be natural to kind of think of, oh gosh, it's just going to be, it's so sad. And how can we, you know, uh, see the light? You know, it's just, it's, it's so, so difficult, but even the imagery of the out of darkness, I mean, it, it really inspires Robin, what you said, hope. And I just keep thinking I'm, I'm returning to that, that theme in my mind as, as you're gathering, Erin, with with others, you know, who have experienced this, just that theme of hope, you know, we can, we can find hope, we can find hope in life, hope in each other, hope in our shared, you know, community and and hope in the 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 trust that sharing our stories will hopefully save another life and and bring uh, guidance and kind of, I don't know, soothingness. <laughs> That's not a word, but, you know, soothe others. You know, Robin, the, um, I, I'm just thinking of my, my 
on my phraseology, we think about suicide striking out of nowhere. I mean, it does sort of seem, and, and again, going back to Aaron's story that, you know, they, this was not something that was expected. And, and, and it, it sounds like, you know, when you're dealing with it, you've got a young family member and I, I'm just thinking of Aaron's story in particular, and I've had children, you know, in their, in their twenties and, you know, they have moods, they, they go mm -hmm. in and out of moods and sometimes they, you know, sleep longer. And so, I mean, in, and, but how do we know what is normal and then what to watch for? What would be some signs knowing that, you know, we don't own, you know, the, the decision ultimately, um, but what might the signs be? You know, that's a really great question, Nancy. And it, it can be very subtle changes. It can be things like people not engaging in their normal routines, not, not doing the things they would normally do, perhaps not, going out and hanging out with friends, isolating. A lot of times there are some triggering events that could be around that, that could be very difficult, that again, are not the causal factor, but it's kind of like that straw that tipped the, camels, that tipped the camel over. The idea that, that there's just so much stuff in our basket that we can get overwhelmed with that. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you also see people, especially young people will talk about may make a comment like, I, I just, you know, I'm done. I shouldn't be here anymore. The world will be better without me. If you ever hear anyone talking about ending their life in that way, that is a definite cry for help. It is always a good thing if you are concerned about someone to ask them directly, are you thinking of suicide? Are you thinking of hurting yourself? Have those thoughts come into your mind? And it's okay if they have, because I'm here to help. I'm here to connect. One of the things that we teach at Providence is we talk a lot about how you can emotionally connect, partner, and respond to help get someone to help. Because not everybody is trained to be able to talk with somebody who is actively suicidal or who has been contemplating suicide. Not everybody is trained to do that, but everybody can partner with someone long enough to connect them to someone who can help. So we teach something called emotional CPR, emotionally connect, partner, and respond, where first you build a connection with that person and you ask them, are you okay? Are you depressed? Are you upset? Are you feeling suicidal? What's going on for you and how can I help? And if someone says, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm in trouble and I don't know what to do, then partner with them to say, let's build a plan together. Let's figure out what it is we can do. Maybe it's, we're going to call 988 together in the moment. And that's a very effective path to do that. There are also, uh, especially most states have a website that talks about warm lines. Uh, lines for Life here in Oregon has a youth warm line, a military warm line, a senior warm line, areas where people, the David Rompuy warm line, which is for adults, where people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts can talk with somebody who's trained to help them think through that, work through that, and to build out a plan. And always, 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 if you're with someone and you're so very concerned, take them to your closest emergency department. There are people there who are trained to help intervene and just really put, you know, an intervention in that moment. Oftentimes, though, the biggest thing that can help is just knowing that someone else is there. I'm here for you. Can I give you a hug? We can work through this together. Those are the things that really matter. Mm -hmm. 
Could I add to that too, Nancy? I, I agree with everything Dr. Robin is saying, and I think it's so overwhelming to hear someone you love and care about talking about killing themselves. That's heavy, that's hard to hear, and it can make us feel really powerless and helpless and make us think, I don't know how to help this person change those feelings. And we think we're not equipped and we're not trained to help, but to Robin's point, we're supposed to be a listening ear and then to help be a bridge and make a connection to someone like Dr. Robin, who is trained to help um, them think through that thought and get them to a place of safety. So, you know, we often think I'm not qualified and it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And that's usually the biggest mistake is thinking that someone else will do something about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, I might be thinking about it wrong. They, they might be okay. Someone else will notice and yeah. will do something about it. And that's, that's such a mistake. We, we are equipped to be caring and to be compassionate and to help make a connection to a hotline. Well, and we think about our core value of compassion and, you know, it doesn't mean we have to fix things, but we are initially called to be that compassionate presence. So I, I really appreciate that, Erin. We're called to be companions and, and to be aware. And so it gives me great relief to know I don't have to fix it. But I can be that initial awareness and that initial, you know, compassionate presence that can help maybe then take it to the next step to someone who might be more qualified, who would definitely would be more qualified. Um, so that is very empowering to hear that and gives lots of permission. Um, I'm hoping our listeners will feel that that gives them a, you know, sort of the permission to, to be aware and to, to feel free to ask difficult questions such as, you know, have you thought about taking your own life? And Robin, it always kind of sort of shocks me to think that I could ask that question, but it's okay. I'm not trying to be the, the first responder. I will get that help and find that help for the person. But, you know, I can be that compassionate presence. Well, and that's why we called it emotional CPR. Yeah. Because the reality is all of us know that if you walk up and you see somebody lying in the street, we've all seen the heart association videos. Many of us who've worked in, in healthcare, we know how to do CPR. We know to, to shake the person and look for, for airway, look for breathing, check the pulse, all those things. This is why we call it emotional CPR, because it is the same thing. You are responding in that way mm -hmm. and you are capable, competent. And I love, Aaron how you talked about how everybody can be that compassionate, mm -hmm. listening ear, and you are competent to be able to do that. It is the most amazing gift. We teach this curriculum to high school students and middle school students all over the country because we want them to know that they're often the first person to hear when one of their peers is suicidal, when one of their peers is thinking about self-harming. And they need to know what to do because we've seen too many stories come out of too many high schools where afterwards in the aftermath, people will go back and, and tell you the, well, I thought, well, I thought, well, I thought somebody else would catch it. Mm -hmm. The reality is you are that someone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of young people, it, it seems that middle-aged white men have the highest rate of suicide. Suicide among men is nearly four times that of women. Looking at the demographics of suicide, are there particular groups? It sounds like, you know, we've got some statistics to show that there are particular groups we need to be a little more on the alert for. Um, Robin, can you say anything more about that? It, it is fascinating. Um, this has been true for, for decades that middle-aged White males have been the number one one category for a whole host of reasons, especially when they are divorced or widowed and alone and isolated. 
all those factors together, they have less protective factors than generally speaking women do. Even women who are divorced and widowed have more of a tendency to have more social groups, more social types of interactions and things like that than men do who are not in a relationship. I think that goes to overall lifespan for men who are not in a relationship as well. But other groups we need to be aware of are our gender diverse youth. We know that transgender youth are, you know, <laughs> one out of every two are, are thinking about, you know, or have thought about or have contemplated suicide. And I think that the number is more like one in three have actually had a suicide attempt. Um, our LGBTQ youth especially are at very, very high risk. Uh, we know another very high risk population are the Native American populations. Um, our black youth, especially our young black men, are also very much at risk. So there's a lot of different populations that are at risk right now that we really need to think carefully. And in this highly charged environment, especially with youth in schools, when we see schools that are responding in exclusive ways, especially to gender diverse youth, those types of things can really heighten uh, suicidal feelings in these youth because they don't feel accepted even in their own school. So it seems to me the message is that we really need to embrace the village uh, mentality and the community approach that we, these are all our children. These are all our people. And we, we really need to to sort of flood our communities with social experiences and, you know, make sure, you know, kids have lots of activities and, you know, that there's, there's a lot of richness so that people feel that they belong and that they have a community and that they're safe. I mean, there's so many factors that seem to be that we could take as a community on the, of course, on the reactive side, once we see the warning signs and, um, and are concerned about somebody, but on the proactive side, you know, what can we as a community be doing? I would like to take a, a pause here just to share that here at Providence, we're committed to improving mental health services across the nation. And we really want our communities to know that they're never alone dealing with mental illness and suicide. And one of the ways we do this, in addition to the incredible services that we have that Robin um, you are um, engaged in leading. Um, we also partner with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to provide education and engagement opportunities for all of our caregivers and the communities that we serve. But what are some other sort of um, proactive ways that we can, I don't know, wrap our arms around our community members who are so vulnerable in those categories that you described? I think some of the biggest ways that we can proactively wrap our arms around, we do a lot of work through our youth mental health prevention education arm, Work to Be Well. Work to Be Well has a lot of curriculum, uh, especially grounded in how to have a crucial conversation, how to talk to someone who is suicidal with the Emotional Connect Partner and Respond Program, um, depression, anxiety, but also a lot of curriculum around self-care, how to be self-aware, how to intervene. Uh, if you're feeling anxious, if you're having a panic attack, what are some other types of breathing techniques, mindfulness techniques? Check us out at worktobewell.org. That's work, the number two, bewell.org. And you can see all this curriculum is built out, laid out, and it's free. And that's probably the biggest thing, whether it's working with youth, working with adults, 
I do a lot of speaking to employer groups and, and to other types of groups. I'm doing a, a talk with a, a large group at the behest of the foundation at the, uh, in about a month talking about self-care and how to talk to a coworker who might be struggling. All these things are on everybody's mind. So take the opportunity to educate people, to ensure that they're hearing. And I think Aaron's team has done an outstanding job through marketing and communications to really put out those messages on social media and in safe spaces. And having a trusted partner like Providence and Work To Be Well come out and say, it's okay to talk about this, gives people permission to do so. Oh, Robin, the work that you're doing and Aaron, the work that you're doing personally and professionally, both of you, I, I just I, I'm just so um, just incredibly amazed and, and so proud of what Providence is doing to to support these conversations and this education so that all are included in 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 really working towards the elimination. I mean, I know that can never happen, but at least, you know, we can really make a difference. Erin, can, can I ask you, as we start to wrap up our time together, is there any advice that you would have for family members, you know, at any stage of this, family members that, you know, anything that, that stands out for you as having been very helpful, you know, families that, you know, maybe struggling with suspicion that they're, you know, they're worried about a family member or, or that they've, you know, experienced um, suicide in their families. Would you have any words? Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity to share that. Um, you know, Doc Rob shared uh, warning signs, you know, and I think that those are, are pretty common. You know, if you're seeing increased drug use, if you're seeing um, just, just behaviors that are not typical mm -hmm. of the person, you know, you know, if they are acting out of character, and I, I would just say that's sort of the biggest takeaway for me is when we look back at my brother and when, you know, his interests in music and art, you know, just got more increasingly dark and then there was drug use and then there was no sleep. He was just sleep deprived and not sleeping and, you know, all of those factors and then some social things with, with friends as well just really came together to create a perfect storm. It's it's not any one thing. It's not, you know, a breakup, a job loss, a whatever, insert the blank. It's not a character flaw. Um, it's not something we can oversimplify into one thing that happened that caused this. And that, that would be my takeaway is really advice for others is to trust your gut. Just trust your gut. If something seems off and out of character for that person, reach out, ask and say, hey, I've noticed this about you. That doesn't seem like you. Sometimes when people are doing this, you know, whatever it is, they might be thinking about suicide. Are you thinking about suicide? I am someone that you could talk to about that. Mm -hmm. And together I can help you. Together we can call the hotline. Together we can call the warm line. Together mm -hmm. I can help you do a search for, you know, therapists or providers in the area and let's make an appointment together. And I'm going to be here with you and help you talk this through until we can get you to that safe place. That That's my biggest takeaway is just trusting your gut. And then for those who might have had a suicide loss and are in grief, I'd really encourage reaching out to a support group. There are uh, survivors of suicide support groups. Um, I was really you know, fortunate to have led a support group for a few years. And like the walks, you know, you think those might be like a dark and heavy environment and you may not want to share and you may not want to speak up um, in those groups, but just, just show up and you don't have to say anything. You can just listen and you can just be with people that know how you feel. 
And so I would really encourage you to reach out for either a professional therapist in your grief support or some community through like a walk or the survivors of suicide. And you can look them up. You can Google survivors of suicide and find those groups. So those are my biggest takeaways. Um, a lot of times in groups, people really struggle with why and answering the question, why did this happen? And like Dr. Robin was saying, and like I also said, it's it's a perfect storm. It's really complicated. There's a lot of factors that go into it. And what I advise others in that group is, is sometimes you have to come up with your own answer to that why and an answer that you feel like you can live with. Um, and so for me, it was the answer to why for my brother's suicide was really a mental illness struggle. And unfortunately, the course of that mental illness for him without getting the help that he needed ended in his his death. Um, so I think Providence is doing a great job to hopefully change that course of mental illness for a lot of people. Um, so that the, those would be my takeaways. Aaron, thank you so much for for to you and your family for sharing your story of your brother um, and for being uh, such a presence of compassion and advocacy, both in your efforts with the Out of Darkness movement and to learn just now of your, um, you know, leading the um, suicide uh, affected by suicide support group as well as the work you're doing for marketing and communications in sharing the messages and sharing the work of Dr. Robin uh, and creating a safe place um, for, for those who can help and those who are hurting. And, and, and Dr. Robin, thank you for joining us today and thank you for everything that you're doing and for all of those resources and um, that, that there's so much abundance of support and resources and education, it's just, it's just amazing. And I, I just, you know, I'm so, so pleased that we have that. Um, so I thank you both for joining us today. And as we wrap up, I want to say one more time, if you are in crisis, please call the Suicide and Crisis Live line at 988 or text line by texting 741-741. Thank you for joining us today on The Promise. We look forward to sharing more stories of compassion and caring with you in future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission, programs, and services, go to Providence.org. Please note that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thanks for listening and at Providence, we see the life in you.